Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with you tonight from some scriptures on this Mother's Day on uh, the definition of marriage from the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. So before we do that, Rosemary, I'm going to have you start this with prayer. And then close with a prayer. We're going to get a shorter program tonight than ordinarily uh, to give you more time to be with your, your family on this special Mother's Day. So, Rosemary, pray for us if you would. Yes. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your message to women, for the, for the ability that you have given us through your gracious love to um, bring forth children, to be mothers, to, to participate with you in the in the covenant ceremony of marriage, Lord, and how this glorifies you, your name in the sight of all nations, Lord. What a privilege it is to partner with the God of heaven and earth. And we thank you for your truth in your word tonight. Quicken it to our understanding. May we rejoice at the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In Jesus' mighty name, in Yeshua's name, amen. You may notice on all the World Prayer Network calls, I have never been dressed like this, ever. I'm wearing a suit and tie in honor of my mother. This would be her request. My mother will be 101 years of age in just 19 more days. So uh, if she wants a suit and tie, she gets a suit and tie. On top of that, my wife wanted a suit and tie as well. So I am uh, putting it on, even though I haven't worn it since 1995. Well, not quite true, but so honored to be with you on this special Mother's Day, honoring my mother, honoring my wife as a mother, my sister, Judy, as a mother, my children, my daughters as mothers. We honor you today, and we honor this day also all women for the role you play in society. We honor you and lift you up. My teaching tonight is going to go back to Genesis. Let me take you to Genesis. In Genesis, God, first of all, established gender specificity. He established male and female. And it starts in this order. It starts with male and female. And then the second thing God has said, by the way, there are only two genders. There are male and female. There are not 56. God establishes two. He's binary. That's the way it is. And then we have the institution of marriage established later. And then now we've gone through Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 4, we have procreation, the actual coming together of producing of human life, of babies. Now, it's interesting when Satan goes to attack these three foundational things that God established in the book of Genesis in that order. Satan, like Mahatma Gandhi, takes on the least contested ground first. So what does he do? He reverses the order. He attacks procreation first. Through the phenomenon of abortion, 1973, Roe v. Wade, a case that legalized the killing, the dismembering, the dismembering with no anesthesia of preborn babies, babies in the womb, the famous Roe v. Wade case. By the way, Roe was Jane Roe. That's a pseudonym for a woman named Norma McCorvey. Wade was Henry Wade, the district attorney in Dallas at that time. <clears throat> Jane Roe a real name, Norma McCorvey, the whole story was built on a lie. The entire case was built on a lie. They all admitted that later. 
But Norma McCorvey later became a Christian. <clears throat> she was led to Christ by my friend Flip Benno, a compassionate warrior for preborn babies, one of the most wonderful prophets of God I've ever met, Flip Benno. He led her to Christ. The first Sunday after that, about three days later, he brought her to our church, the church I was then pastoring in Dallas-Fort Worth. I remember right where she was seated as I was preaching, she was seated off to my left, about two-thirds of the way towards the back. I had her permission and Flip's permission at the end of the sermon, the end of the service, to announce that we have a special guest in our service. It's Norma McCorvey of Jane Rowe, a Roe v. Wade, and Flip Benham, who was seated beside her, has led her to Christ, to a personal saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, just a couple days before. And I, the congregation erupted in applause, stood and applauded for the longest time. When I saw their response, it was so affirming of her. I asked her and Flip to go to the front door of the church, which they did in the foyer. The people lined up. It took over an hour as they stood in line to greet her, to hug her, to welcome this woman into the kingdom of God. Uh, by the way, uh, the place where Roe v. Wade took place, what was in the courthouse, that's been converted into condos. And now uh, one of our acquaintances lives there and conducts Bible studies and prayer meetings from that location right now. Uh, be encouraged. Uh, the power of Christ is still at work in these tough moments. The second thing was marriage was undone. The definition in our nation legally in 2015 in the famous Obergefell versus Hodges case. And the, the scripture speaks to this in Matthew and in Mark. Jesus established, Jesus quotes Genesis and he established what the definition of marriage is. And he says, what God has established, let no Supreme Court put asunder. Okay, that's a loose Garlow paraphrase, but you get the picture. When God says what marriage is, don't mess with God on this. As the old Broadway musical used to say, your arms are too short to box with God. So we have the destruction of life in the womb through Roe v. Wade in 1973. Then we have the destruction of the definition of marriage in 2015 in Obergefell versus Hodges. And then we have in 2020, the case before the Supreme Court of the Harris Funeral Home versus the EEOC. And uh, another name is added that ordinarily when they listed Amy Stevens. And that is the transgender issue blurring any understanding of maleness and femaleness as distinct genders established by Almighty God. So the enemy has attempted to attack marriage. Now, now, now why the attack on marriage? Divorce this helps destroy marriage. Uh, pornography harms marriage. Uh, homosexuality harms marriage. Uh, transgenderism harms marriage. So-called so-called same-sex marriage harms marriage. We we have academia attacking marriage. We have entertainment attacking marriage. We have entire denominations that have got left-wing liberal progressive. They now attack marriage. Uh, we certainly have now in the sports and entertainment attacks on marriage. We have in the business community attacks on marriage. Arts and media a long time ago began attacking marriage. Why all this focus on any, on this is one topic. Rosemary and I have the privilege of traveling another number of countries and the attack on marriage is global. Why would that be something so foundational? One man, one woman. When I hear that somebody says, no, two men are just as good as really, really, what's just unimportant, the mommy or the daddy? What's just really so unimportant 
you just rule out one or the other. And if two daddies are good, why wouldn't three daddies be better? Four daddies, five daddies be better. No, because God ordained in natural law and in biblical truth, the establishment of male versus female. Rosemary and I, quite a number of years ago, were in Paris, France at a meeting on marriage. And there were delegates from countries all over the world. There's 193 nations in the world that are at least recognized by the UN. There's a few other nations that are not, they're real small, but roughly a little under 200 nations in, in, on the earth. And a number of them were represented there. What was intriguing to me was what the African delegates said on a conference on marriage. <clears throat> they said, you, referring to the United States, now this was back during the Obama era. They said, you are sexually colonizing us. I, that's a phrase I'd never heard. I said, what are you saying? You colonized us once. You came and controlled us. Now you're colonizing us a second time sexually. The Obama administration and the State Department was forcing, coercing countries to affirm so-called same-sex marriage. They were coming in demanding they do that or they would draw aid from these countries that desperately need aid and help. They were denying the military support. We ran into that in Central and South America. The U.S. State Department is corrupt on this issue and is denying the reality that God established marriage. In some countries, they are forcing the nations to fly the rainbow flag, a distortion of what God intended the rainbow, alongside the flag of that country. That's how severe it got. Why? Why this attack on one thing, one institution, so intense? How, how could that possibly be? Well, let me walk you through Genesis. We're going to take a, a quick walk here. So fasten your seatbelt. In Genesis, in, in, in the Bible itself, is God male or female? The answer is neither. God is portrayed by some writers in his masculinity, his strength, his might. Let's don't bring that slide up quite yet. Alan. We're not ready for that one. We'll get to that in just a moment. And sometimes he is, he is portrayed with femininity, tenderness. Sometimes he's portrayed with the aspect of uh, oh, uh, feeding of a newborn baby from the, from, the, from the breast or even a womb giving birth. All the, the marks of femininity, of tenderness and nurture. So God is, is, is portrayed in both, both ways, both respects. So, so which is God? Well, God is more than just a male or a female. Now we as humans are made in his image. But no male by himself expresses the full spectrum of the full image of God. No female by herself expresses the full spectrum of the full image of God. Even one of the names for God, El Shaddai, that's one of many names for God. El means, it, it's believed it comes from the word mountain, like strong, like a mountain. Shaddai, it's believed, comes from the word breast to nurture a newborn baby. So even in that hyphenated name of God, El Shaddai in the Hebrew language is the depiction of the God who is strong with the historic masculinity traits and then tenderness and nurture with historic traits of femininity. So no male by himself is an expression of the full spectrum of the image of God. Repeating no female by herself is a representation of the full spectrum of the image of God. It's only when the two halves, the complementary halves of humanity, come together, they fit together, 
physically, physiologically, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, when they come together as one within the framework of the covenant of marriage, now what is there expresses the full spectrum of the image of God. Some might say, some woman might say to me, now, well, I'm not married, so I'm not a representation of the full image of God. Well, that's part of the genius of the spiritual reality of God becoming a husband. Uh, to that one. There, there, there is something very profound and spiritual about that component that helps do the completion that we many of us oftentimes lack. I won't pause on that one for a moment, except to say, let's just go on now into the understanding of the creation process. The traditional view is that God created Adam, and then from Adam, he took a rib and created Eve. Rewind, the traditional view, God created Adam, took a rib, and created Eve. Now, that's what it sounds like in the English text. And I would submit to you, in the Hebrew text, if we go to the original language of the scriptures, of the book of Genesis, that there is something considerably of richer spiritual import than that. Let me walk you through it. And if this is your first time to hear it, kind of fasten the seatbelt, sit down, and listen carefully. I'll go slow on purpose, because this is profound. When you see what the Lord has done, it, it is so inspiring to understand the breadth and depth of the text. When God created Adam, that's the Hebrew word, and by the way, if you have, this is an NIV Bible, in my footnotes at the bottom, it literally lists what I'm about to say to you. You'll have footnotes discovering some, uh, referring to some of this. When God created Adam, it wasn't Adam the male. Don't think of that, capital A. It's small a, Adam in the Hebrew. God created Adam. What is Adam? It's not Adam a man. Adam is humankind. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God creates Adam, humankind. Do not think, repeat, capital A, Adam, a male. No, God created initially Adam, humankind. Now, he took a look at what he created. It's the only time in the created order he looked at something he made and said it's not good. What was not good about it? Because all the other times said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. This one was not good. What was wrong with it? There was no capacity as is because of its singularity for relationship. Let me explain. In the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's the capacity for remarkably rich relationship. But he created Adam, humankind. The translation says it's not good. One translation as one. Uh, it had no capacity for relationship. It's just one entity per se. Adam, humankind. It's at that point that we find in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, 22, that he takes out the, the word is sela. It's T-S-E-L-A. It's kind of like the car uh, 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 Tesla, only the S and E are, are switched around. So it's, it's pronounced as a silent T, sela. When he does that, um, at that point, that word is not translated properly rib, it's translated half or side. It's used some 40 different times in the Tanakh, the Torah, that the, the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. This is the only time it's translated rib, and it should not be. It means half or side. 
So the creation account goes like this. God created Adam, humankind. Don't think Adam the male, just humankind. He looks at it and says, it's like one, it doesn't have the capacity for human relationship. I'm paraphrasing. So he removes Selah, the Hebrew word, that side or half. He takes one half of it, pulls it apart, and now we have femininity and we have what's left, masculinity. We have female and we have male. Part of the attraction, the profound attraction between male and female to come together, sexual attraction, is the desire for the complementary halves of humanity to come together to complete what was pulled apart initially. Uh, this is sometimes re jokingly referred to as the splitting of the atom. And so we now have Adam being created. God said, wow, not capacity of relationship there. This is not good. And he pulls apart half or side. And as he does that, we have now we have female and, and we have male. Now I want to take you to the Hebrew word. Let's go to the Hebrew word. And, and, and if we can bring up the first slide. This is the word for man. It's ish. Ish means, it, actually the word is, go from right to left. And so it's aleph, yod, shin. Now repeating, this goes from right to left. So on the screen, it's aleph, yod, and then shin. Now let's go to the word isha. Isha is woman in the Hebrew. And notice again, from right to left, aleph, shin, hey. There's a, Alan, are you able to put the cursor on the word yod in the letter right there? Yeah, where, where Alan's putting the cursor right now, that's yod. That letter, that letter is present in man, but it's not present in the word for woman. Now, Alan, put the cursor on hey in the second line. That right there, the letter hey, that letter is present in the word woman, but it's not present in the word above it, the word for man. If you take the yod hey and put them together below, now you have the word, the foundational letters for the word Yahweh, which is the word for Lord. It occurs 6,800 times in your Tanakh, in your, your Hebrew scriptures. You're what you call the Old Testament. yod hey vav hey is the word for Yahweh. It's a little hard to translate exactly. It's the God who is. I am that I am. It's not easy to translate, but it gets translated Lord. Now let's repeat that. And one more time, let's take those letters out. We look on the right-hand upper corner right now, and you see the word for man. Aleph, Yod, Hey. Let's take the Yod. And we put it down below, following the blue arrow. Now let's go to the upper left-hand corner, the word for woman. We go from right to left, aleph, shin, hey. The letter hey, we bring it down the blue arrow and put it there. That's the two letters that are not present in each other of man and woman. And there we see yod hey vav hey, yod hey being the foundational letters of Yahweh. It's as a, now listen carefully. As a man and a woman come together, the full image of God is expressed. The yod hey are present when male and female come together. Two men do not do that. Two women do not do that. Only as a man and a woman come together 
in full completeness, spiritually, that's where the covenantal point comes in, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically or physiologically. And now the Adam, Adam has come back together. Me'ish and Isha has come back together. yod heh Yahweh, the image of God is even stamped on the very letters of the name, male and female. Now let's go to the next slide. And we're going we're gonna to repeat this and look at the top of the slide. There's a name for Yahweh or Lord or God, the yod Hey, You see the Yod is coming out of the word for man. And you see the Hey is coming out of the word for woman. You see the arrows. But we're, our focus on this slide is not yod Hey in the word for God. This slide, we want to focus on the issue of what the two letters are that are left. In both man and woman, the same letters remain after you remove yod and hey, yod out of man and hey out of the word for women. What are those letters? They're aleph, shin. Remember, we go from right to left. Aleph, shin. <clears throat> and what is that word? Fire. Now, let me ask you a question. Is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Fire can be bad or it can be good. It'd be very bad if like in 2003, when the fires broke out here in San Diego, 2,800 homes burned down. We were evacuated from our home. We packed as fast as we could. And as I left, I wondered, will I ever see this home again? Will I come back through burned rubble or not? We got legal papers. We got some clothing. We got photograph albums and headed out. And 2,800 homes did not survive. Ours, fortunately, was one that did. Uh, then we saw 2007, 1,600 homes burned down in the wildfires. Of San Diego. So fire can be terribly destructive. At the same time, fire properly contained, properly framed, properly book-ended is wonderful. For example, I had breakfast this morning. My wife cooked that breakfast for me using fire. In fact, the cell phone that I use a lot, uh, it uses electricity, it uses fire. The lights that are turned on, the air conditioning, the heating in this room in your house, that's from fire. The ignition you turn on your car, of uh, fire. And, and so fire provides you tremendously wonderful things when it's properly contained. So if we remove God, the covenant of marriage, away from a man and a woman, then what we have is not a biblically grounded love for each other, properly manifested, but fire, lust that's out of control, that brings enormous damage and harm to the man and woman and to everybody around them. But let's go to the next slide. I'm going to repeat on the next slide. We're going to see it again. Now, here's a review before we go to bring this all, uh, landing this plane. We'll go to the top of the page again. Isha, woman. There you see from right to left, Aleph, Shin, and Hey, the word that is from forms of weather well, letters of God. Now they'll go to the next line, man. <clears throat> the word is ish, and it's olive, yod, and then shen. Yod, hey, together in the next line, form the foundation for Yahweh, or God, or what's generally translated in most of your Bibles, the word Lord, as I indicated 6,800 times in your English translations. The backgrounding word is yod, hey, vav, hey. It's the name Yahweh. <clears throat> we don't know exactly how it was pronounced originally, this is the best that is known at this at this time. 
And then if we take out God from the relationship of man and woman, take Yod and Hey out, the word that's left is Ish, and that's the word for fire, which we already said can be destructive or can be wonderful. It's wonderful if it's bookended or parametered properly. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> this is the word for covenant. The word is pronounced berit. Remember, read from right to left. From right to left, the word is berit. It translates in English, covenant. Now, if you have a chance, I, I want to urge you all to listen to my teachings on the covenant. My teachings on the covenant is my wife's favorite of all my teachings. The blood covenant. The blood, the blood covenant. And uh, it's my personal favorite. I wrote a book called The Blood Covenant. Of all, I've written 21 books. Of all my books, that one did not do particularly well. If I could, I had others that, that I had one that made New York bestseller list, top. Uh, but I, I would, if I could give this book to the whole world, I would. It's the most important teaching of all scripture. It's the key for understanding all of scripture. I, I wish we didn't have the Old and New Testament separated the way we do. I think it's terrible the way people treat the Old Testament. The Old Testament has to be read or the New Testament makes no sense. But it's really, it shouldn't, that gap between the 400 years, it should be all together. It's the Old and the New Covenant. And, and it's, it's incredibly important to understand the nature of what happened in Genesis 15. The covenant God made with Abraham, its implication, you track it on to David, you track it on to Yeshua, to, to Jesus, the New Covenant. That is the key for understanding all the scripture. All of what we call the Old Testament is organized around the steps of the ancient covenant-making ceremony. The New Testament, properly understood, is organized around the steps of the ancient covenant-making ceremony. And I've had the privilege, I was preaching once in North Carolina years ago. It's a group of Baptists, a large Baptist church. It was on a Sunday night event. A bunch of churches had come together, and off to my right, a group of people began began laughing. I thought I said something, so I spoke. I stepped down. I said I must have said something wrong. They said no. About ten of them were all looking at each other and laughing. They said we've never heard this before. They were so excited. They were laughing among us. We never heard this before. I was teaching it once in Salina, Kansas, very close to my home territory where I come from, and it was a, a gathering in a Holiday Inn. And it was it's supposed to end at noon, and everyone's going to go eat at noon. I finished multiple hours of teaching on it. And, the, and the, the district superintendent of the denomination of that state was supposed to stand up and dismiss them. He didn't get up. He stayed right there. And as he sat there, people just sat in silence. This was 12 noon, time to eat. And they had listened to hours of teaching. And they didn't get up. And pretty soon you could hear people start crying. Sniffles all over the place. People again just weeping and crying as they did that. He waited 20 minutes in silence. There's still friends of mine who were there to talk about this moment. It wasn't because of me, because the teaching on the covenant, God showed up. And when you understand the nature of the covenant, uh, I don't have time to go into it now, but if you'll, 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 you'll go to our website, you'll find places where you can get the teaching on the covenant. Or go to wellversedworld.org, wellversedworld.org. Go to the store and you can order the covenant. Uh, but I, I, I wish I could get that to the whole world so they can understand the depth of God's love foundational scriptural love for them now back to, to this as it relates to marriage here's the word covenant from for marriage it, it's 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 berit 
Now, notice there's four letters. Now, when you see the dots underneath, those are vowels. The Hebrew language originally had only, only consonants and no vowels. Vowels were added, added later. Uh, so the, the, the dots you see below that are, are the vowels that, that are added in. The uh, present the Hebrew, of course, uses that. But that barit is covenant. Now, I'm going to take those two letters on the right and the two letters on the left and split them apart and put something in the middle. Watch what happens in the next slide. On the next slide, we'll see at the very top is the word berit, covenant again. Now, look what we've done. We've taken the two letters on the right and moved them down to the right. We've taken the two letters on the left and moved them down to the left. And in the middle, we put that word ish, ish, fire, and we've inserted that into it. So now it's pronounced Bereshit, and it means the fire of man and woman, the attraction to each other, put in the context of covenantal marriage, a covenant with each other. The, the, the intimate physical expression between a male and a female within the covenant of marriage is a righteous act. It's Bereshit. It's the fire. It's the... the being drawn together physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in every arena, that fire, that attraction, coming together within the frameworks of the covenant of Almighty God. It's not a contract. Contract can get broken. This is a covenant that's not breakable. Within the context of a covenant, now we have the word Bereshit. What does that word mean? It actually translates, well, let me put it this way, in your Bible, in your Bible, the very first words of your Bible, Genesis 1.1, says, in the beginning. You know what it is in the Hebrew? Bereshit. You're looking at it right there. Bereshit translates, in the beginning. Our Jewish friends don't call the first book of the Bible Genesis, like we Christians do. The Jews call it Bereshit, meaning in the beginning. <clears throat> in other words, and by the way, everything I'm teaching you right now, I learned from three different Jewish rabbis, three different Jewish men sat with me and taught me various segments of this over a span of time. <clears throat> the part I'm sharing with you right now, one time we were in Washington, D.C., we were at the end of a long line. We'd gotten there too late going into a banquet, and I was grumbling, I admit, before the Lord. I was complaining. I looked at the line. It wrapped all the way around, up an escalator, through a hallway, and into a ballroom. I thought, this is going to be an hour long. I wish we'd gotten here earlier. I was not happy standing in that line. I met the guy right in front of me. He was a Jewish rabbi. We began to talk, and he taught me this during that line. And when I got to the banquet room, and he had to go to his table, we had to go to ours, I was so disappointed the line wasn't longer. I wanted more time with him. This God-ordained moment is where I learned about Bereshit, and he taught me this. He said, the opening phrase of Scripture, the opening word of Scripture, in the beginning, has within it the actual concept of within the covenant, the fire of maleness and femaleness drawn to each other with God's ordained blessing of marriage. It's so important. He used it as even the opening line in all of scripture, the opening word of all uh, of scripture. Now, now, we've been walking so far through Genesis. I want to underscore how sacred, how sacred marriage is. Why is it being attacked of the whole globe? It's demonic. It's satanic. God established this sacred institution, profoundly sacred. 
There's nothing like it in all of God's creation as the sacredness of the covenant relationship of marriage. So along comes the enemy, Satan, and the people who work with him, and they attack it. They put it down. They try to redefine it. They try to destroy it. They, everything they possibly can do to wipe away Bereshit, the proper kind of attraction to each other within the constructs of the covenant. But that's just Genesis. Um, that's not the only place. The Bible begins with Genesis, with the marriage of a male and a female. The book ends with Revelation, with the wedding of a bride and a groom. Now, just ponder that for a moment. In other words, marriage is so important. The book starts and it ends with this. Now, what, where is history going? All of history is going and racing towards one grand event. What is it? The marriage supper of the Lamb. My wife and I, in a few days, are going to be, well, next week, uh, we're going to be at a wedding. And I'm one of the persons performing that wedding. This couple is so well known that some major magazines are coming to cover that, that wedding. That's the first time I think that's ever happened. It's going to be actually televised eventually on some TV shows. I, I don't think I've ever been a part of that kind of wedding. That's a big deal wedding. It, it was even covered in magazines when they got engaged, for goodness sakes. That's pretty astounding. But even that's not as big as the wedding that's coming between Jesus and the covenanted people of God when they come together as one. All of history is going towards that grand event. Now, I, 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 had, I had four children. And, 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 and I participated in their weddings in significant ways. Thank, they've honored me. And, and so who my kid marries is very, very important. Who they marry makes a big difference to me. Now, if you're God, you only have one kid, <laughs> and he's perfect. I had some pretty good kids, but I've never had a perfect kid because they didn't have perfect parents either. But you're, you're, you're God, and you have one kid. It's perfect. You're going to care about who your kid marries. And, and so his only son is getting married. And, and, and he wants a bride, a special bride. All of history is going toward that, that great event. Now, here's what we tend to think, and this is wrong thinking, is that when God looked down on planet Earth, that what he did was he looked and saw that, well, humanity's enjoying marriage. So I will just take marriage. I'll borrow that metaphor. I'll raise it up here and I'll, uh, I'll borrow the metaphor and I'll use that metaphor of marriage, husband, and wife to describe the closure of history. That's the wrong view. It's just the opposite. He didn't look down on earth and borrow that metaphor. No, the real marriage, capital M marriage, is the one that's yet to occur. You've never seen real marriage yet. You've only seen small m marriages. And those marriages on earth are the orders or the appetizer of the course, the full course that's yet to come. And the full course is capital M marriage, which Jesus and the covenanted people of God, the congregation of God, when they come together, that's the real marriage. You've never seen it. In fact, when you see a marriage on earth, the purpose of the marriage is to show people what the actual marriage is going to look like. 
uh, think of the best marriage you can think of. I hope it's your own. Uh, that marriage is supposed to be a representation. So other people, when they look at that marriage, think, oh, so that's sort of what Jesus and the church is going to be like. Now, I can't fathom, I cannot fathom what it's like Jesus and, and the, the covenant of people of God coming together. I can't, I just can't figure that out. Well, what would that look like? What, what does that feel like? What I don't know, but Paul knew that. So he wrote in Ephesians 5 about the nature of marriage. And in verse 32, let's bring that scripture up. In verse 32 of 5, he says, I, I know you think I'm talking about man and woman, but that's not what I'm talking about. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, he says, it's a mystery. You think I'm talking about husbands and wives. Well, I sort of have been, but I'm talking about something much deeper than that. The profound mystery, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the congregation, the covenanted congregation of the people of God when they come together with Jesus. So what we see in Genesis, all of Genesis, it's aiming towards this marriage. Revelation is heading towards a wedding. Now, I, I get asked from time to time, uh, why is there no marriage in heaven? I say, are you kidding me? Heaven is marriage. I've written two books on heaven with my co-author, Keith Wall. And, and heaven is marriage. It's the grand marriage. It is the capital M marriage. Some people say, well, why is there no sexual relations in heaven? Well, let me explain that. In heaven, we're going to come into a relationship with Jesus that is pure joy and ecstasy. We had the privilege in our two books on heaven, Keith Wall and I, of interviewing people who had NDEs, near-death experiences. They crossed over, experienced heaven, and then came back. We interviewed a lot of those. Not one of them wanted to come back to earth after they touched the joy of heaven. They were absolutely beyond words. They, could, they couldn't find the words to describe what they saw, what they experienced in heaven. They would describe every leaf on the tree was so bright in its coloration, spectacular coloration, and even sounds that were emanating. Every blade of grass was thrilling to observe in the light and the sound came from he described one, one of them, so I began to run, and I ran with no effort. They described the bliss, the joy, the delight of heaven. Not, not one, only there was one exception, one mother who had died giving birth to her baby. She's the only one said, I need to go back to be with my baby. No one else wanted to go back. Even a past, one pastor in Florida, he died, he crossed over, and he was informed in heaven, this is not your time, you're going back. You have many people lead to Christ. He said, I don't want to go back. He, he didn't want to go back. I want to stay here. And, and, and by the way, the common theme of those we interviewed that experienced that, not one of them feared death after that point. Their fear of death was gone once they had a glimpse of heaven. It was astounding. We also interviewed some who experienced the, the, the pain of hell. You can get The book is called Heaven and the Afterlife. And then there's a second book called Encountering Heaven and the Afterlife. And then our publisher put it together in two books in one. And it's called um, Heaven in the Afterlife Collection. I believe it's available on our website, wellversedworld.org. And you click on the bookstore or the store. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that it's there. It's audio. But, oh, yeah, it's an audio. It's on an audio as well. Yeah. Well, the, the question is asked, why is there no sexual relations in heaven? Well, scripture says in, in, in Psalm 1611, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
pleasures forevermore. Heaven is absolutely a delight. Let me submit to you an unusual concept. The physical ecstasy or joy experienced by a married couple in the covenant act of marriage, the physical intimacy act of marriage, is a physical representation of the spiritual joy of being in the presence of Jesus. We can't fathom that. But God has given that moment of the physical ecstasy and joy in the act of marriage as a reminder and a representation of the sheer delight it's going to be to be in his presence. When I was asked to write the books on heaven by my publisher, I had no idea the journey I was in as I started writing. I mentioned my co-author, Keith Wall. We worked together on that project. It was absolutely astounding to me, the pull and the tug of heaven. Paul writes, he says, you don't understand about this, 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 this end of history. So have, look at males and females. They come together in joy. He says, and now that's sort of a picture of Jesus and the covenanted people of God when they come together. He says, it's a mystery. We don't understand it. So God established marriage, healthy marriage on earth. So it'd be a, help us grasp the mystery we can't understand of Jesus being reunited, being united in a marriage with the covenant people of, of God. But if I were Satan, I would go back to the book of Revelation and I would try to destroy the image of God in the construct of marriage. If I were Satan in the book of Revelation, I would go in and try to destroy marriages all I could. So the mystery or the picture of marriage would be taken away. So people couldn't possibly grasp how this actually is. This is why marriage is so sacred. This is why in the phenomenon of, of the grand scheme of things globally, marriage is being attacked. People who believed in marriage a few years ago in their political statements, totally compromised by the evil one and attacking marriage in all kinds of ways redefining it or all types of things getting rid of, of the results of marriage procreation this is we're celebrating mother's day procreation which that indescribable event that makes a woman a mother no scientist can explain how human life actually is formed they know what happens a sperm and an egg come together they understand that but nobody can explain how a human is actually created how is that possible can't explain that Except God has ordained that in the constructs. He designed it to be in the constructs of covenantal marriage. Bear a sheet, the fire, the intimacy, when the scope of the covenant of marriage itself. And so consequently, in this era, when marriage is under attack by every possible thing, you and I, as serious followers of Almighty God, you and I, as followers of the scriptures of Almighty God, we defend marriage because of what it represents in, the, in Genesis, the image of God. And in Revelation, it represents the aspect of the fulfillment of history in that final marriage supper of land. Just think of it. We even use marriage bed language to describe the, the, the closure of history. We use phrases like the consummation of history. We use phrases like the climax of history. We actually use marriage bed language to describe, and rightfully so. It's sacred and holy and righteous. 
in that construct, in that understanding. And so as I close this, this tribute to God's most sacred institution of marriage itself, we say a congratulations to all mothers. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Motherhood was painful beginning the delivery of a child. I don't know from personal experience, and I'm glad I don't. I wouldn't be able to take the pain. No male seemingly could take that kind of pain. But you women do, and you women have. You're able to bear up under it. And sometimes child rearing can be painful. And some of you I'm talking to as mothers, your children haven't always honored you the way they should. And you may be in pain this day. And we're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you then have Rosemary pray for you as we, as we cap off. Father God, I thank you for the mothers. Thank you for my mother. Uh, thank you for my wife. Uh, uh, thank you for my late wife who mothered the children we had who passed away years ago. Thank you for my daughters. Uh, and thank you for Rosemary's daughters. They're, they're, they're mommies and they're, they're good mothers. We, 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 we attribute to women in our culture today, not just mothers, but women. We thank you for what, how women bless the culture in which we live. I wouldn't want to be in a world of all men. Thank you for women. But especially this day, I focus on thank you for the mothers that make up this world. And I pray for comfort on that mother who feels alone today. Maybe her children are even deceased, or maybe she's alone this day. She doesn't want to be alone. I pray for the blessing of the Lord upon her this day, or perhaps her estranged relationship. Lord, I, I ask you to miraculously intervene in, in family brokenness, and, and, and where there is brokenness, Lord, we ask that somehow you, you bring healing, and, and until that time the healing comes, bring strength that's beyond any human grasp of, uh, until that that moment of full and complete restoration thank you lord for the mothers this day rosemary yes father we we ask you to restore the sacredness the holiness of matrimony of marriage to to people everywhere lord god even the catholic church calls it the sacrament of marriage because it is holy unto you and to bring forth precious life, Father, to produce children. And if you commanded us to uh, be fruitful and multiply, Lord, to replenish the earth with, with children who will love and honor you. So Father, I thank you for the many mothers who have children both naturally and spiritually. Father, I thank you for women who take children who um, they can bring into the kingdom to eternal life that they have many times more than even which is naturally possible in children being born again unto the kingdom of God through the love and power of our savior Jesus Christ I thank you Lord for a great commissioning to come upon men as well because they also can birth um, sons and daughters into the kingdom. So I thank you, Father, for the fullness of who you are to come to us as we um, follow in your likeness, as we join with you in creating life. Such a privilege, Lord, and only eternity will uh, allow us to see and understand the greatness of what you have allowed us to experience in motherhood. And we thank you for this in Yeshua's name, amen.
Well, thank you for being with us on this World Prayer Network call, a different one to be sure. We hope you felt blessed and encouraged by it. Uh, join us uh, every Wednesday and Sunday night, the same time for World Prayer Network calls. Blessings on you. Go in the joy of Jesus, and we'll see you in a few exciting days. Blessings as you go. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.